Have you ever wished there was a single, tried-and-true, guaranteed way to share the gospel that would lead people to repentance and see them ask Christ to save them? If so, this episode isn't for you. But what I can offer you is one way to share the gospel with people that is both easy and biblical. Hey everyone, my name is Ray Burns, and I want to encourage Christians to apply a biblical worldview to every area of their lives so that they can keep growing in spiritual maturity. And in this episode, like I said, I'm going to be offering you one way that you can share the gospel with people that is fairly easy to understand, it sticks true to the Bible, and it feels much more natural than maybe some other ways that you have seen in the past. Now, up to this point, you might be like a lot of Christians where you just feel like telling others about Christ can be a very daunting or even terrifying thing. Not that you're afraid of what they will say, but when it comes to talking to strangers at, you know, the bus stop or in line somewhere or wherever it is, if it's not someone that you're already close to where you can very easily kind of open up the subject, sharing the gospel can be almost a weird feeling because it almost just feels unnatural to just open up a conversation with someone, especially in our current culture where we are very kind of standoffish and stuck in our phones and accustomed to ignoring people around us. Uh, on top of that, it might be intimidating because you are terrified of saying the wrong thing or not knowing enough. And so you might just be crippled by, you know, insecurity, you know, not knowing what to say, what Bible verses you need to memorize to say to them. Uh, you know, you might be scared that you will say the wrong thing and send them to hell for eternity and it will be all your fault because you just weren't good enough or smart enough. And the goal of this episode isn't to give you the one quick fix guaranteed way to do it. And I'm not even saying that this is the best way to do it, but this is the way that helped me to get over any kind of anxiety or insecurity that I had. And it is simply one way that might help for you when it comes to just carrying on a conversation with someone where you've had an opportunity to ask them about their salvation and they aren't really sure what you're talking about or why even they might need Jesus Christ. So the first thing when it comes to how we think about how we're going to give the gospel to somebody is we need to ask ourselves, what is the goal? Why do we want to tell them and what do we hope will happen with our conversation? Because understanding those things is going to help us to kind of create a framework for what we are or are not going to discuss. Now, obviously, we want people to know about Christ. We were commanded by Christ to go and tell the world about him. We are commanded to you know, preach the gospel, to tell people about the good news of a Savior who has come to save them from their sin because they cannot do anything to save themselves. And in our world today, a lot of people already know about Jesus. The problem, of course, being that they have a false idea often of who he is or what salvation entails or how to get to heaven or things like that. And so the method itself that I'm going to discuss is really all about just asking important questions to make people understand what it is they're saying and believing. But before we get to that... Let's just quick talk about what it is that we want to lead their heart and mind to. What is the goal of these questions? What do we want to point them to? The first thing that we want someone to realize when we're talking to them about the gospel is that they need to realize the depth of their sinfulness. And they need to realize, number two, that sin isn't just wrong, but it has broken God's perfect law. So it's not like this kind of, oh, bummer, I lied kind of thing. No, when we sin, 
there is a gravity to it that a lot of us, even in Christianity, may not fully pay attention to. And so it's natural that those outside of God's law already are going to diminish or try to cover over the reality of what it is that they're doing when they're breaking God's law. Now, realizing they've broken God's law, the number three thing we want to point them to is the fact that because God is good, he must punish evil. If God loves justice, then he has to punish criminals. Now, we might want to look at ourselves and say, oh, I'm not that bad. I'm not as bad as this other person. But the reality is that crime is crime. It doesn't matter if there's someone worse than you. A good judge is going to punish them based on the severity of what they've done. Now, understanding that... There's a temptation, even if someone says that, you know, oh, you know, I know sin is bad, but we also need them to see, number four, is that no amount of good that we do can outweigh all our wrong, which makes us unable to save ourselves. And then number five is that we have essentially a debt. We have a long list of crimes built up against us that needs to be paid. It needs to be punished. And so if we have any hope of salvation of having our relationship with God restored, then we need someone else to pay that debt for us, and that the only person who could possibly have done that is Jesus Christ. And so that is really our focus. We want to make sure that we aren't adding anything to the gospel or even making some false promises to try to make Jesus seem more appealing. So by that, I mean we don't want to tell them that Jesus will make their lives better, because if we look at any of the apostles in the New Testament, we know that serving and loving Christ isn't going to make our lives better. You know, all of the apostles died horribly, and they were persecuted all the way up until that point of death. Uh, We also want to make sure that we aren't making them think that they are just bad people that need to clean up their act and behave better. We need to We need them to realize that God's not mad at them because they misbehave and need to do better. God is wrathful against them because they are wicked and there's nothing they can do to save themselves. And so, simply put, our goal is purely and simply to show how wicked we as human beings are and how desperately we all need Christ. Now, when it comes to sharing the gospel, like I said, there are a myriad of ways that we can do it. And we're all going to share the gospel differently. We're all going to have things that come more naturally or unnaturally to us. Now, for example, you may see people who do street preaching, or they are comfortable approaching strangers one-on-one or knocking on doors. Some people want to develop a relationship with people first. You know, whatever approach suits us in the moment, number one, we want to make sure that we are being purposeful in giving the gospel to people, not just waiting for it to happen, not hoping that they will just look at our lives and be really curious about why we're so happy and joyful, because ultimately that boils down to us making excuses for not sharing the gospel. So we want to make sure that we are honestly seeking opportunities to tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ that we truly believe they need. But within that, as I said, we want to make sure that we are focused and purposeful and getting at the heart of what the gospel is and why they need it. And so what I'm going to share today, again, it's not a magical thing. It may not even be the best thing, but this is something that I think I first ran across it with um, a guy named Todd Friel with Wretched Radio, and I believe he got it from a man named Ray Comfort, and that's as far as I know for the history, but I'm almost positive that in the year 2021, Ray Comfort got it from someone else. You know, it's a very easy and clean and and almost natural way to just give someone the gospel. 
And so uh, if you want to see this more in action, um, I'll have a link to Ray Comfort's YouTube channel in the show notes. Uh, he works with, I believe it's called Living Waters, and um, he just it's a, it's a great ministry just to watch him just easily and simply share the gospel with people. But uh, in this episode, I just want to kind of share how kind of I take that approach and the questions that I might be inclined to ask somebody. And so what this basically looks like is we will ask them questions, you know, and it, this isn't a, a way to start a conversation with someone. So this kind of assumes that you've opened up the conversation with someone in some way, asking them, hey, do you know where you're going when you die? How do you know that you're going to heaven? How do you know that God has forgiven your sins? Someone may be asking us about, you know, why we are a Christian, you know, why we go to church and things like that. However the conversation starts, we want to make sure that we aren't just kind of flopping around, but instead using whatever opportunity God gives us to be faithful to that opportunity and to give someone the gospel, trusting that we don't have to be perfect and it's not even up to us to save them. We are simply being obedient and being faithful and being a witness to the gospel experience that we have. And so what we want to make sure that we are doing when we're asking them questions, whatever those questions may be, is we want to point them to sin, our inability to save ourselves, and our need for Jesus Christ. And so what this method basically boils down to is just asking them if they've ever sinned and then telling them what God says about that sin. It's really easy. And it's almost fun sometimes because people naturally assume that, no, I'm not bad. I haven't sinned or I haven't sinned that badly. And so these questions really just get at, you know, are you walking in obedience to what God's word is really saying? Are you making your own standards or are you truly understanding God's own standards? And so what we do is we just start out by just asking them if they've done certain sins. And we might not even use the word sin because sin has a lot of baggage that might be attached to it. And if you don't really know the person you're talking to, you don't want to assume that they know what sin is. So simply just ask them about a few things on the Ten Commandments. So I'm going to try to voice both sides of how this conversation might go. I apologize. I'm not the best voice actor out there, but... Um, the goal of this is just to show how naturally a conversation like this might go. So when it comes to asking someone if they've ever broken God's law, one thing to ask, or one way it might go would be like this. Have you ever killed anyone? No, of course not. Well, have you ever been angry with someone or maybe even yelled at them? Well, yeah, I guess. Well, Christ tells us that even being angry with someone is committing murder in our hearts. Now, what about stealing? Have you ever stolen anything? Well, no, I'd never do that. Well, what about downloading something you didn't pay for? Or stealing from your mom's purse when you were younger? Or maybe even eating a sibling's candy when they didn't know it? Well, I mean, yeah, but everyone does that, right? Well, they do, but just because everyone does it doesn't mean that it's any less of a violation of God's law against stealing. So, how about this easy one? Have you ever lied? Well, sure, but again, everyone's done it. Okay, how about adultery? You know, cheating on your spouse or significant other. No, I'm pretty faithful. All right, well, have you ever checked somebody out? Looked at pornography, maybe just thought sexual thoughts about somebody? Yeah. Well, that's called lust. And Christ says that to even lust after somebody is committing adultery in our hearts. So I want to pause right here in the conversation and just share what these questions are getting at and 
and what they're referencing. So first I asked if the person had killed anybody, and they said, well, no. And I said, well, what about anger? And in Matthew 5, 21 to 23, it says, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering." So here in this Matthew passage, we're seeing that Christ is digging not at just our actions, but our hearts behind it. So we would say, oh, everyone gets angry. Anger is a natural thing. But what Christ is pointing out here is that the same heart that gets angry at our kids, at our bosses, at people in traffic, that is the exact same heart required to murder somebody. So yes, in the grand scope of things, I would rather someone yell at me than murder me, but Before God, someone is going to be guilty of breaking the commandment against murder because of their anger, because their heart is the problem, not just their actions. Now, likewise with stealing. Obviously, we know that things like downloading music or books or video games or whatever, you know, that's called piracy. That's ultimately theft. We know that it is illegal to download movies. Now, the fact that it is rarely cracked down on or that everyone does it doesn't change the fact that it is against the law. And likewise, even things that we did as kids, you know, when we were, you know, six, seven years old or 12 or whatever, and we did something dumb like take something from our mom's purse, that is still theft. Just because it happened a long time ago or it happened when we didn't feel like we knew any better or we were just expected to make dumb mistakes doesn't change the fact that it is a violation of the law. Theft is theft, no matter how we try to excuse it or cover over it or minimize it. You know, lying, it's another one of those things. Oh, well, everybody does it. Well, that doesn't matter. And then the adultery thing. You know, we we know even in our society, adultery is a huge problem. It is a destructive thing to where it's very hard, even if we change it and say, oh, well, I had an affair, I had a fling, whatever. It is still a destructive thing. And so we inherently know, even unbelievers know that adultery is just a wrong thing. You just don't do it. And so people say, oh, I would never do that. I'm pretty faithful. You know, I, you know, I would never cheat on my spouse. Well, in Matthew 5, 27 to 28, Christ says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So again, just like the anger thing, the heart that, that is required to look at pornography or to check out a woman or to think sexual thoughts about a woman or a man, that same heart is required in order to commit the physical acts that we may be imagining or desiring. However, before God, we are still going to be held liable for breaking that law. It's not that, you know, lust is a smaller sin or anything like that. It's the fact that it's the heart problem that we have. It's a heart that is against God and his natural design and against his will. And that is what we're guilty of. So understanding why we're asking those questions, we can now get to the heart of what God says about this person. So back to our conversation. You've said that you've been angry 
which God calls murder. What would you call someone who murders? A murderer. And what would you call someone who steals? A thief. And what about a person who tells lies? A liar. And someone who commits adultery? I guess you'd call them a cheater or an adulterer. All right, so by your own admission, you are a murderer, a thief, a liar, and an adulterer. Now, here's the problem with that. You may think that you're a pretty good person, but God is the judge of all people, and those things have all broken his law. So if someone is a good judge, just in general, even in our human courts, if someone is a good judge, what are they supposed to do to people who break the law in such a bad way? Well, I guess they'd have to punish them, but I'm really not that bad. And I think that God would look at all the good I've done and hopefully be able to forgive me. I know it makes sense to hope that God would look at all the good you've done and ignore the bad, but here's the thing. God is a good judge. So if someone came and murdered you and your whole family and then stood up in court and said, look, judge, I know I did wrong, but even though I butchered that family, I think you should look at all those times I donated blood and volunteered at the homeless shelter. I mean, doesn't that all that good that I've done outweigh my bad? Now, if this is a good judge... How should he respond to the person who killed you and your family? Well, he should punish them for what they did. But what about all the good he did? Shouldn't the judge just overlook such a big crime since the criminal also did good things? Now, I'll pause here and say that up to this point, it's been a fairly linear conversation. It's been a lot of back and forth and kind of easy questions and answers. Now, at this point, this is where frustration or defensiveness can start popping up in someone's mind because at this point they're realizing where this is leading and how how they view goodness and justice on earth is different from how they want to view God's goodness and justice. And so there might be some back and forth. They might be making excuses or getting defensive. The word self-righteous or Bible thumper might even start coming up. Or they might even feel hopeless and say, wow, there's really nothing I can do. And they might even think that we're hypocrites because they might think that we are calling them bad when we don't think we're bad. And so whatever happens at this point, the conversation is likely going to center on how hopeless the situation is and they're right. But we want to make sure that we quickly get back to kind of the turn or the the ah, yes, but thing where we tell them, yes, this is hopeless, but God. So continuing the conversation again. So if I can't do anything to be forgiven, then what's the point? Exactly. We can't do anything. That's why God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. He died on the cross, and he took the punishment for our sin. Think of it this way. It's like God was about to give us the death penalty, but Christ burst into the courtroom and yelled, I'll do it. I'll pay for their crimes. Oh, so then I'm okay. Not yet. Christ says that whoever calls on his name will be saved. It's a free gift, but one that not everyone will have when they stand before the judge. We will only have this gift by realizing that we've broken God's law and can do nothing to save ourselves. And it seems like you're realizing that now. But we also have to believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for our sins and that we need to ask him to save us and make us blameless before God. When we do that... And if we truly believe it, then our sin is paid for. God has no more judgment left for us because he punished Christ in our place. 
And for the most part, that's it as far as this kind of method of giving the gospel goes. We want them to see the weight of their sin. We want them to realize that no good they can do can change that. And we want them to know who Jesus Christ is, the perfect son of God, the blameless one who lived a perfect life and died on the cross and took the direct punishment for our sins. He didn't just die to give us a better life or to make us better people, but he literally took the punishment for every lustful thought we've had, every time we've stolen, every time we've murdered someone in our hearts. Christ took the one-to-one direct and exact punishment and paid our debt to God on that cross. And when they understand that, they need to realize that they really just need to believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he is, that his death and resurrection is the only thing that can cover our sins and that we just need to ask him to save us. We need to repent of our sins, turn away from those things that we were believing in and trusting in, and instead ask Jesus Christ to save us. Now, obviously, having Bible verses in mind or on hand is going to be ideal here, but I wanted this to be a very simple thing and to say that you don't need to quote Bible verses as though they are magical spells where if you don't have them, you're defenseless. If you are there and you're sharing the gospel with someone and your mind is totally blanking and you just, you, you know the verses, you know, you've spent, you know, hours or days or years of your life memorizing them. But in that moment, in that stressful situation, you're blanking. Don't get frazzled. Don't get overwhelmed and don't back down. Because remember, all we need them to realize is that they've broken God's law, that they are guilty before God, and that they need Jesus Christ to save them. So those are the basics of the gospel, and they still remain true, even if we can't necessarily conjure up the exact words from our preferred Bible version to prove it to them. Now, again, obviously, hugely important, especially if they have more questions, we want to send them to God's Word. We don't want to just tell them our opinion or our thoughts on it. All I'm saying is just be reassured that it's okay if in that moment, despite you trying to memorize verses or the fact that you do know these verses, don't get overwhelmed or feel like a failure just because your human mind wasn't perfect in that moment. God is still good, and if God is going to save them and convict them, he's going to. All we have to do is be as faithful as we can to give them the truth of the gospel. Now, at this point, who knows how the conversation is going to go? Maybe God will bring them to an overwhelming sense of conviction, and they're going to want to cry out to Jesus Christ right there to save them. Maybe they're going to want to have some follow-up and do something like a Bible study to really get deeper in so that they can understand what the salvation truly is so that they're not asking Christ to save them out of an emotional response, but instead truly understanding what sin is and who God is and who especially Jesus Christ is and how he connects us to God. And of course, at that point, if they want to discuss things further, we can, of course, be better prepared and we should be better prepared. We don't want to just keep winging it and having them believe us because we say it. We want them to see the proof in God's word. And of course, it's entirely likely that this person will say, oh, okay, well, thanks, and walk away. And that's the last we hear of them. And that can be frustrating because, you know, we might pour our entire heart into giving them the gospel. And it might be even a significant feat for us to get outside ourselves and to talk to someone about something like the gospel and their sin. And for them just to kind of shrug and walk away as though it didn't touch them is can be heartbreaking. We can feel like a failure. But I want to just encourage you in that moment with what Paul has to say about how the gospel is given to people. In 1 Corinthians 3.6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So take comfort in the fact that you have planted a seed, 
And that is all God asks you to do. He doesn't call for you to be clever and convincing and to pluck their souls out of hell. That's not your job. That is the job of the Holy Spirit to convict them. All you do is plant a seed and be faithful to God and trust that if you have not been in sin or lazy or you know, you're not stuck being so spiritually immature that you can't give the gospel, that you've done what you need to do to bring God glory. You've been obedient. You've been faithful. And so I hope this method and this discussion has been beneficial. I hope that it has encouraged you, especially those of you who may be nervous to share the gospel or just feel like, I know what the Bible says. I know what I believe and how I'm saved. I just don't know how to break that down to deliver it to somebody. You know, I'm not good at explaining things. I hope this has kind of equipped you a bit better to think in a way that isn't you just making a presentation, but you really just asking questions and then letting them know what God's Word says. And so as you are, you know, leaving this episode and going out into the world, maybe talking to family or friends, maybe talking to strangers at the doctor's office, just remember that we are called to be faithful to God, not to be biblical scholars, not to be persuasive speakers, but simply to be faithful with the truth that God has revealed to us and to share with others the good news that Jesus Christ saves sinners, no matter how long their criminal record may be. Thank you for listening to this episode of Onward in the Faith. If you would like to support this ministry, there are three ways you can do it. The first would be through prayer, both for myself and this ministry. The second is through outreach by sharing this episode or blog articles with anyone that you think could benefit from it. And third is by supporting the expenses that goes into everything I'm doing here. And you can do that by following the links down in the show notes to either give a one-time or monthly donation. Now, I hope this episode has encouraged you to keep moving onward in your faith toward maturity in Christ.